0: me personally you know it was a it was a very slow progression and and it's a very secretive illnesses that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize like so much that goes on is behind closed doors and and hidden so a lot of my habits and behaviors were very much kept to myself I didn't sort of hid a lot of things from my parents and lied a lot of lying you are in denial yourself about what's going what's going on um and you lie to kind of keep everyone else happy
1: Life gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons, into lemonade. Because we all want to know how they did it the lessons they learnt and what life is like sipping the on the other side. Let's get juicing. Maddie Tyers is an actress, TV host and you may even recognise her from her stint on Channel 9's Lego Masters. But what you may not know is the effervescent Maddie has been on quite the journey in her lifetime. At the age of 8, she developed an eating disorder. By the age of 16, she was hospitalised. Doctors fearing for her life because she was so unwell. Maddie is now 32 and it's taken many, many years in recovery to get to the point she's at today and she's thriving. Maddie has just released a children's book, When Anna Came to Town, aimed at that vulnerable 5-12-year-old age group to encourage body positivity and help young children identify disordered eating habits. Now, just to note, there were a few technical glitches thanks to the joys of recording online through lockdown. I hope they don't distract too much from Maddie's beautifully contagious energy. Trigger warning this episode discusses eating disorders. 24-hour help is available through the Butterfly Foundation on one 800 334 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Here's Maddie. Maddie, welcome to the Lemonade Podcast. You are so glam for a 9.30 on a Saturday morning. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> what is sweet. your secret? Thank you so much. I tell you what, this is the first time I've put makeup on in, I reckon, two months. Oh. I thought, you know, I've, it's, it's, a, it's a Saturday morning. I'm yep. chatting with the lovely Liz. Why the oh. hell, Let's glam uh, let's up
1: let's climb <laughs> it up and you and i was well, saying i was saying off mic to you like i feel like i've just stumbled i look like i've just stumbled out of bed i haven't just stumbled out of bed and oh, you look gorgeous you, you are just a princess gorgeous. so <laughs> yes it's, it's it'd be lovely to chat to you for the next hour maddie mm-hmm. how are you doing how is everything there was an
0: earthquake yeah. this week melbourne's going oh, crazy oh, yeah. how are you faring Oh Liz, honestly, it is just uh bonkers at the moment. Wow. <laughs> like you said, uh, it's it's almost like what what what's the word gonna throw at us today? You know? <laughs> Riots, a lockdown for two years, an earthquake. Yep. Um, we're fully prepared. Um my husband is a massive uh zombie movie apocalypse kind wow. of fan, diehard <laughs> <have> fan. <laughs> and so he is uh he's prepared for anything, you know, zombies, aliens, whatever it is that kind of uh, you know, or is it us, I think. is there a bunker <laughs> is there
1: something set up just in case everything just falls to shit
0: you know what um i'm not i'm gonna say no and i think that <laughs> that's our next lockdown project You just us something <laughs> No. well we you've got a few more months
1: of it you've got a few more months, tell months you of it
0: what. <laughs> no look we're doing okay though Liz. like oh, you know all that in consideration uh, you know we're, we're keeping busy we're, my husband and I are very fortunate to uh, we live in sort of in the inner city of Melbourne and we're, we're very comfortable at home we're both working
1: I can't now Maddie with all my interviews I start them the same way and that's just wanting mm-hmm. to
0: get a feel of what childhood was like for my guests so
1: can you tell me what was cool life growing what was it like growing
0: up for you yeah Oh, look, I was, um, you know, again, very fortunate, Uh, Liz. I had a really awesome childhood. I have two wonderful parents who I'm super close with. um, I know very fortunately in my 5K bubble. So, yay. Lovely. I kind of catch up with them for walks. Um, I have a little sister, Imogen. Um, It's just the two of uh, of us. And, uh, yeah, she's just the best. I Mm. love her to bits. Um, She's currently living in... uh, Vancouver, so she's been overseas in Canada for a couple of years, but we have always been incredibly close since we were kids. Um, I had a really lovely childhood, you know. I, I We were always uh, very fortunate to, you know, be gone on little beach holidays, um, you know, every Christmas time and, you know, lots of family and friend get togethers, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, but look, in saying that too, I was also an incredibly sensitive kid, a really, um, I suppose, um, perfectionistic kind of, kind of kid as well. I loved school, but I put a lot of pressure on myself yeah. to do well at school. Um, and so, you know, despite having a really, an amazingly incredible supportive network around me, I did have a lot of anxieties and suffered and, and quite a bit from depression as a kid as well, which is crazy to think. When you have all this wonderful stuff going for you, how is it that, you know, you're not coping? Um, And yeah, and then at the age of eight was when I first sort of started to develop, um, you know, toxic kind of behaviours and thoughts around food in my body. So, you know, despite the fact that I did have a wonderful childhood and upbringing and and, um, I did have some some struggles as well. Yeah. So,
1: as we all do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned just then at um, the age of eight, your attitude Mm. towards food started to shift a little. Can you talk us through what was happening there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think back now and I'm like, gosh, eight, that is so young. Like, I think of an eight-year-old now and I'm just like, they're babies. But, you know, at the time, obviously, I thought I was super grown up and had everything together. Um, But look, I was, um, like I said, very perfectionistic, very, very kind of sensitive, incredibly kind of impressionable as well. Um, At the time, I had, uh, we were shift schools. We had um, you know, just a bit of a, a family kind of shift dynamic with um, my sister and I. And, you know, being that kind of age and uprooting from your kind of friends and having to restart again, I just, I think I just felt completely out of control. And for a kid that was, I suppose, quite in control, I was very confident, you know, always the leader of the group. And for this one time, I was kind of, you know, not in control. And I think, I, I sort of found food, and, and um, you know, controlling what went in and out of my body was what made me feel safe and calm at the time. And it, it then sort of slowly progressed into becoming a bit of a coping mechanism for yeah. any kind of stress and anxiety. And then, as you grow up, you know, you sort of head into your, your preteens and your teens. You know, the hormones and the, the 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 stresses in life kind of do amplify, and so so did my sort um, of obsession and issues with food um but yeah it's 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 crazy to think i'm, I'm 32 now even her, 32. <laughs> so I've, um, I've been in recovery you know and in a good really good healthy place for like the last seven eight years mm. um but you know I, I have struggled with this for most of my life mm, which is crazy yeah. to think um so but yeah look, doing doing really well now and trying to use my experiences to sort of educate and help on others so, yeah
1: that's the goal <laughs> absolutely and when you were in these like take taking it back to these eight nine ten
0: mm. age
1: group you know as you said you're so young what kinds of things were you doing and and did you have any awareness of what was going on or that you mm. know
0: maybe that there was an issue or well, I, I suppose you were just so little it would be hard to mm. know Absolutely. You know, it's really interesting kind of thinking back, this because, you know, this is going back to the 90s now. So, mm. you know, we didn't, I didn't have a mobile phone or social media or, or um, you know, access to, I suppose, the crazy bombarding images and, and kind of um, pressures that kids today have. So it was nothing like that, but I still very much felt those pressures of, of the media and um, and those societal ideas. um uh, woman should look like Um, so you know I I think originally you know originally it just started out as you know Maddie's trying to eat healthy and 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 it was kind of um not really it was sort of acknowledged by family and friends but in a really positive way so you know Maddie really loves to exercise to eat healthy and she doesn't like junk food and it really started out as sort of I suppose um labelling foods as good and bad. Um, and, and and then obviously as time kind of progressed, the list of sort of bad foods just continued to grow and the list of good foods food sort of shrunk. Um, so it really was a very slow progression. Like I said, it sort of started those initial kind of feelings started at around the age of eight, but I wasn't admitted into hospital until I was sort of mm. 15, 15, 16. Um, and in sort of, year nine at school. And that was when I was officially diagnosed with anorexia. Mm. Um, so it's, it's that's like an eight year progression. Of totally. Habits. Um, and, you know, to my parents' credit, they, they, tr- they like, tried everything they could they didn't know what was wrong I suppose eating disorders weren't as I suppose yeah. spoken about even at um, uh, you know as they are today um, and they are quite a taboo subject as well like a mental health as it is, is, a, is a quite a taboo t- topic it's I'm so happy it's been more spoken about now but back then um yeah it was really kind of um it was really challenging for my family and friends to go oh what what's what's going on with Maddie she's not she's not doing
1: too well as you just said like it's such a that's such a good point there just wasn't the mm. resources back then as well there wasn't a click of a button mm-hmm. on the and mm-hmm. you know a few, mm-hmm. few symptoms and then something comes up it must have been you know mm. did, did it take a while for your parents to kind of
0: kind of realize what was going on because of that Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, there the resources weren't readily available. There were, um, you know, amazing kind of support networks like the Butterfly Foundation yeah. where were very much in operation, but they just weren't known about as much. It took my parents a lot of digging and researching and asking, um, uh, you know, health professionals to find those resources at the time. But look, initially, Um, Yeah, they were really stumped. They didn't realise what, I suppose, what this thing was that was was going on in my mind. And, and, you know, I very much, you know, now can separate myself from the illness. But back then, it was very much a part of me. And I was completely in denial with what was going on. I just kind of brush it off as just the way I do things. So, mm. you know, what, what's wrong with that? Leave me alone kind of. Attitude. Yeah.
1: And like you said, just being, you had in your head, I'm being healthy though. There's nothing mm. wrong with what I'm doing. I'm just eating healthy. Exactly.
0: Food. Exactly. And isn't that what everyone's telling us to do? So yeah. what's wrong with that? Um, so yeah, really interestingly, it. Um, I think for my parents, you know, obviously at home life was getting quite, um, quite, Stressful dinner meals. Any meal time was a really stressful time. So my parents were kind of quite on edge um, throughout that period. And so when they started to get comments from, you know, other people, so you know maybe it was family, friends, or like teachers and 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 stuff about my weight and the way I behaved, it got really upsetting for my parents because yeah. they were kind of like you know people are making comments people are saying things what are we doing wrong as parents they took a lot of blame onto themselves which I feel absolutely you know shit about um, my sister as well being three years younger than me at the time she would have been you know five five or six when it started and then probably early pre-teens when I was sort of the worst of it but she had to kind of grow up very quickly and she became a huge support for me. Um, And that was, you know, reflecting back now, when we've kind of done quite a lot of therapy and and kind of working through that stuff as adults now. And it really affected her growing up. It really had a huge effect because a lot of the attention and kind of stress was focused on me and my health growing up. As you
1: said, it was so, uh, it started with kind of good and bad foods mm. and then es and then more foods started getting added to that bad category. And then from mm. there, is it just, you know, and f- uh, is it just the effect of like reducing then the amounts, mm. you know, is mm. that what then ha- would happen over time? Was that kind mm. of the progression um, mm. until you did turn, you did become very unwell and have to go to hospital. I'm just curious mm. about what that progression looks the progression. like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So interesting. And look, it's, um, eating disorders of all like come in all shapes and sizes yeah. and affect everyone differently. But for me personally, you know, it was a, it was a very slow progression and, it, and it's a, they're very secretive illnesses. That's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, like so much that goes on is behind closed doors and, and hidden. So a lot of my habits and behaviors were very much kept to myself, I didn't, I sort of hid a lot of things from my parents and lied, a lot of lying. Um, Mm -hmm. You you are in denial yourself about what's going going on um, and you lie to kind of keep everyone else happy. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, another really kind of key trait and this is very much generalizing of people with eating disorders, they're, they're, they generally tend to be, you know, very, um, like I said, perfectionistic, but also people pleasers as well. They want to keep everyone else happy. So they'll say what they need to say to kind of keep them at ease. But, it, it, you know, the inner turmoil is also incredibly, um, you know, um, horrible. Um, yeah. But, yeah, look, it was a very much a slow progression. Um, for me, it was, yeah, as I said, a lot of just like hiding stuff, um, obviously the meals became less and less, um, uh, lying that I'd eaten prior to catching up with friends and going out for dinners and, and, um, having very strict rules around, you know, I, I went from being pescatarian to vegetarian yeah. to like almost vegan, you know, and, um, unfortunately we, we still live in a society that kind of promotes a lot of that sort of thinking and behaviours, and it can be done healthily, you know, in a healthy way, but it also, I think, for those that have a tendency towards, um, I suppose, negative self-esteem or, or body sort of issues, those sort of um, diets or ways of living can be quite a slippery, a slippery slope into eating disorders. So, oh, um yeah. So, yeah. And then obviously getting admitted into hospital was at a point where I was kind of, um, I had to choose between, you know, having a nasal gastric tube or actually slowly reading. Reinf- um, and so, you know, it's learning to sort of eat again. You almost yeah. kind of resort back to becoming a child where you're sort of monitored and, and kind of fed by your parents. And I'm, you know, 16, 17 year old girl who's been, you know, you know, in all other instances should be going out and having fun with my friends and doing all that kind of cool stuff. I was at home being kind of like monitored by my parents and watched over while I ate every meal. So it was, you know, pretty, pretty full on time. Can you talk Um, to us
1: about, because yeah, when you then were admitted into hospital, I can't even imagine how difficult that must've been. What did the doctors tell you at that time? Mm.
0: so it was a matter of so at the time I was going to what, what they call like an outpatient clinic weekly so this is prior to being admitted so obviously I was um it was I was incredibly underweight and and not um you know uh, my, my blood pressure was always very low I was sleeping a lot I my hair was falling out I had you know hair growing on all over my body to try and keep myself warm yeah. um so I had all these signs of being unwell but um I was going to this clinic weekly to just check heart rate yeah blood pressure um weight I got weighed every week that um was hidden by the, the dietitians I yes. you not see what numbers were there because that's very um, triggering to be weighed weekly my oh, god yeah absolutely and you know. It's yeah. It was it was terrifying. I used to get petrified of going every week to these appointments. and Petrified of either putting on weight, yeah, because that was my worst fear, or losing weight was also petrifying because you know terrifying because I knew that what that meant it meant I could possibly go to the hospital. And so surely, and you know, uh, sooner or later, I did have that inevitable day that I, I got there, and the doctor who was looking after me at the time was like, "No, you've officially reached this your." you know, BMI and your, your actual, your heart rate is way too low. You need mm. to go to hospital now. So it was just, you know, that was a really quite a traumatizing uh, realization and being kind of dragged literally picking and screaming by my mom to the car to drive me, you know, to drive me to this actual clinic. It was, yeah, really, it's frightening, really full on. Yeah. Really yeah. frightening. Really, really frightening. Absolutely, um, for being and so all I the can. while, yeah yeah and I think the craziest thing too Liz is in your mind or in my mind I thought I was fine I yeah. didn't like I was like there's nothing wrong with me leave me alone but you know in hindsight looking back now I was incredibly unwell. and um, they said to
1: you the doctor said to you if you continued on the trajectory you're on you wouldn't mm-hmm. have a heart attack
0: is that right is that how mm-hmm. well you? Got oh you? absolutely absolutely Gosh. so yeah you know you're when you're malnourished and de- you know in depletion um long periods of time it affects all your vital organs so yeah. I, um, I was diagnosed with osteopenia which is a stage before osteoporosis at, at 17 and so my bones were in a really bad place um, yeah you know the, the sort of the threat of potential heart failure and, and, and liver all of your organs are really under stress a lot of the time so and your brain as well like at the end of the day you are quite um, you know there's kind of quite a, a chicken or an egg kind of thing like are you does the depression start for the eating disorder or does the eating disorder cause the depression you're so malnourished in the brain as well you're not thinking straight no you're not making sense of normal kind of normal things and you're not thinking logically so yeah it was a really scary time for my parents but I also think in a way obviously being in hospital was the best thing that happened to me because you know it was the start of where you know they the, Part of recovery, um, that my parents finally felt that they, you know, they were, I was in the right place. Um, that 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 I, the control was taken away from them. That they just not have to monitor me, and it was I was being looked after by the people that could make me better, basically. So
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how difficult was it to make that first step in your recovery mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. at that point of time?
0: Mm. Yeah, look, it's interesting because I kind of wonder, like. You know, I even think I was still, I think got being admitted into hospital was a bit of a wake-up call. But I don't think it was until really my early 20s that I kind of had another scare, went overseas, traveled um, Europe on my own for a couple of months and used that opportunity to basically result back all my old ways. I didn't have anyone looking over me. I was on my own. I could do whatever I wanted. And I came back incredibly unwell and and, and you know, this is sort of too, and so I kind of, I think at that age, and when I returned home, I was like, I can't go back to where I was six or seven years ago, and um, that's eventually when I kind of, in myself, had decided, no, I need to get, I need to get back on, I need to get back on track, and sort of, um, yeah, started those appointments with dietitians and psychologists and whatnot, and get a bit of a team around me again. So yeah, look, I think. It, you know, like I said, eating disorders are never linear. Your your recovery journey is never never linear. Even though I was officially diagnosed at that young teenage age, it wasn't until you know five six years later that I kind of, in my own mind, had decided I wanted to get better.
1: Yeah, and we're ready. For, yes, absolutely. And mm. what has that recovery then looked like since then? Since your early twenties, when you did
0: make that choice that you're ready to be to feel better. Mm. Mm, absolutely. And I, I still very much think I'm in, in it too. Mm. At least like I don't think that I, and look, again, I, I think it's for, for every single person that suffers with this um this illness, but I think for me, it's going to be something I'm going to need to monitor for the rest of my life. You know, I know what I am like when I get stressed and anxious. I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate. I have my husband and family and, and friends around me that have, I'm very obviously vocal about it now, but um. That also know my triggers and warning signs, so it's just something I'm going to need to to monitor. But but yeah, recovery has been it's been a bumpy journey. It's been really really hard. I like um, I like to sort of think of eating disorders a little bit like um, an addiction of any kind. Really, be be it alcohol, drugs, gambling, whatever. Yeah, you, you get you almost get high from the feeling of not eating and being empty, and so having to break that habit and break that toxic cycle um it's really bloody hard um Mm. unlike i suppose alcohol or drugs food is something we have to eat we have to do this every day we have to face it we can't just completely eliminate it because that's the whole problem in the first place so it's just kind of relearning and retraining my mind and body about what it means to feel um, feel satisfied and to feel um to feel good in myself. I think so, to rewire
1: that yeah. thinking, yeah, yeah. That rewire mm-hmm. those pathways. How crucial was therapy during that time? Then having someone professional mm. be able to speak mm-hmm. to about that, I imagine that
0: must have been that integral cog in all of this. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it is a team around you. You know, I had obviously a dietitian and and, and stuff, but a psychologist absolutely was was quite crucial because, you know, you you obviously talk about your your thoughts and feelings around food, but it's all the other stuff, you know, what's actually going on in the, you know, in the core of you, because the eating disorder is just, I suppose, a coping mechanism to feeling crap and being depressed or anxious or or stressed or whatever it may be. So it was kind of really breaking down those those kind of um, core issues that I was having and working on those to sort of build up the sort of the strength and resilience and, and, and positive ways of dealing with those yeah. insecurities rather than um, the other outlet that I'd kind of used for many, many years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super important. <laughs>
1: You're now 32, as you mentioned earlier, mm. how do you now look back on this
0: extraordinary chapter in your life? Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. I sometimes, it's kind of like it felt like a really just, shit dream. Yeah. <laughs> really bad dream. Um but you know and and I kind of also like there um been times where I've sort of you know my parents my sister and I obviously talk about it quite a lot especially with the release of my my book recently it's, it's kind of brought a lot of these things to the forefront again but it was a huge chunk of my 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 kind of younger years and I started often sort of get a little bit sad that I missed out on a lot of my childhood, like, you know, eight to sort of 22 really was consumed by this illness. And I, I think I'd never, I don't think I really allowed myself to be, to have fun and to be a kid and to enjoy myself. And so it's interesting because I'm now 32 and I feel like I'm doing that now. <laughs> so my husband and I are massive children. As you can probably see. we've just got Lego everywhere in the back of my shop there. Right?
1: And I feel like I should say right now, and you were yeah. on the, you are, you
0: were on the Lego master yes. show as yes, well. So. We were. We were, we we're massive kids. I'm very fortunate. My husband's also like loves, loves travel and, it, you know, you know, being just a big kid. And so I feel like I'm almost, 32 now reliving a lot of those years yeah. and, and kind of having fun so you know not the last two years we haven't really been able to have much yeah the last two years but you know it's um yeah it was a tough time it was a really mm, tough time mm, mm. but hey I came out the other end absolutely you're
1: thriving now what
0: would have mm. helped
1: you back then do you think
0: mm, mm, absolutely so this is and again I think this is probably the the catalyst for me writing this book Liz. I think you know, going back to that eight, eight sort of nine age age group when it all kind of kicked off, like I kind of think, had we known a little bit more about what what, what eating disorders are, what, what negative self-esteem um, and, and body image it was at the time, could have that potentially sort of started a conversation between myself and my parents or, or potentially a teacher at school because also teachers were noticing changes in me and behavioural um, changes. Um, and so I think having a bit of an understanding of what it was would have definitely helped. But also I think um, the space to have the conversation and be like okay to talk about, actually I'm really not hoping very well yeah. right now. Um, and so writing this book has been, um, you know, obviously quite a therapeutic thing for me to do, but it it's also I'm hoping can be used as a bit of a tool for parents um, and families, not just to actually start that conversation if they're noticing someone is struggling food is becoming an issue that that they can actually talk about it and just let someone know because just even letting one person know will start that that kind of road to sort of um getting the help that you need
1: tell us about the book with yeah so Mm. what's it called and what's it all about and and why
0: was it so important yeah to write it yeah, so um, so it's called when Anna came to stay. Um, and interestingly, when I was in recovery, I, I a really kind of helpful tool that helped me uh, separate myself from the illness. Because I, as I was mentioning before, I for a very long time I, I identified as the illness. I thought anorexia was me and, and was yes. wh- how I kind of operated. But through therapy, I was able to sort of separate Maddie from these toxic um, eating sort of thinking, so I, and I called the illness Anna, anorexia, um, so this book, When Anna Came to Stay, is, is my story, basically, told in a very kind of, um, from a child's perspective, so it's written in a very Dr. Seuss kind of way, it's rhyming, uh, rhyming kind of couplets and very beautiful watercolour imagery, but it's about a young girl, May, who um, has her world thrown upside down and has to move schools and is really overwhelmed. And um, a, a new friend comes to stay. Her name's Anna and she's she's very she's beautiful and and, and, and confident, but also incredibly bossy and, and kind of uh, tells May how she uh, needs to live her life and what, what she can and can't do and it'll make her feel better. And so um, Anna is obviously a metaphor for the eating disorder. It could be seen as... Uh, anxiety as well, um, depression, this imaginary character of Anna becomes takes over her life and really kind of, um, yeah, forces forces me into a really, really dark place and it's not until she gets the help of her friends and family around her that she's able to tell her to go away. I don't need here anymore. So, yeah, um, it's sort of, it's, it's written in a really kind of gentle way. It's more just the, the concepts of... Um, you know, an unwanted thought process coming into into play um, and so very much sort of aimed at the sort of, I would say, 6 to 12 um, demographic, maybe, yeah, maybe even probably 6 to 10, a little bit younger. Um, but, yeah, for me, it was very much, uh, you know, if a kid can read this book and go, oh, hey, I can relate to mm. that May character. I have some, I have these thoughts and these yucky things that come me, I can and can't as well that, you know, maybe it can help. A kid out there that's kind of potentially heading down that path.
1: Why was it important to target that six to 10 to 12 age group that, that especially that
0: six seven mm. year yeah. age group? Yeah it's crazy because you kind of go that's so young to be talking about such a heavy topic and I have been asked this quite a lot. Um, the reality is a lot of children uh, being diagnosed with mm. eating disorders and even more so in the last two years since the pandemic hit, a lot of kids have been really struggling with body image and food. Um, and so absolutely for me, it was um, uh, the statistics show that this is an age ga- um, age category that needs to be kind of addressed. Um, I know that the Butterfly Foundation have just recently launched a new program called Body Bright that really tackles a lot of those issues in the prep. To sort of sixth category. Um, and so yeah, this this tool I'm hoping will be able to sort of nip a few of those um, you know, potentially eating disorders in the bud. Um, so my husband and I worked at the Starlight Children's Foundation. That's how we met and um I found it really quite confronting at you know that 25, 26 a, um, you know age that um you know kids as young as four five six were being admitted into hospitals with eating disorders and I kind of go how do you how do you even know what a diet is or yeah what, you know, or is at that age but it's um sadly the reality of the world we're living in at the moment um so yeah that's that's yeah. one of the reasons I wrote it for that And why do
1: you think it's so like, you know, this ties into writing the book and, and speaking with me right now. And I know you've done other interviews about this and speaking so Mm. candidly and honestly Mm. about a a really difficult chapter in your life. Why is Mm. it so
0: important to be sharing how you are? Mm, Absolutely. I think for me, you know, like I said, going back to the, the, the treatment that I had and the support that I have, having psychologists was incredibly helpful. Um, but I think one of the things that really helped me was when I got kind of in contact with, with sufferers themselves, people that have come out the other end, survivors of eating disorders, and so through the Butterfly Foundation was able to kind of connect with, um, yeah, people with lived experiences. And so I think for me, sharing my lived experience with others sort of going down that road is it's, it's really helpful for those suffering to hear, oh, actually, she gets it. She really gets it. And she's come out the other end. And this is what worked for her. Maybe that'll work for me. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, sharing my story, it's, it's just sort of, yeah, I think hopefully, hopefully try and kind of, yeah, pass on any sort of things that I've learned. I've done there's an amazing group called Body Matters and they do a lot of family therapy sessions and I've joined in on a couple of those and and also for family members too to go, oh, you know, my my daughter or my son or, or whatever is going through something very similarly, like, you know, have you got advice for this, this and this and even just kind of, sharing my kind of, um, journey with stuff or my experience with certain elements of going through my recovery, um, you know, is, is hopefully helpful to others.
1: Mm, Oh God, I can only, I can imagine it's so helpful to people. Mm, How has what you've been through changed you
0: and made you who you are today? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Look, I definitely think it's, it's formed if, you know, who I am today lives in, you know, in the good and the bad ways, you know, going through quite a lot of struggle. You always come out the other end having learnt something about yourself. Um, yeah, I definitely think that it's like being able to kind of work through this has made me a much more resilient person. I'm a really open person now. I wasn't a long time ago. I kept so many things close to my chest because I I didn't want to upset people I didn't want to turn people off I didn't want to tell people how terrible I felt because you know in fear of turning them away um being a burden Uh, but now it's the opposite I'm such a I love talking I love telling talking about my feelings and I and I love being there to support my friends and and family as well so um I definitely think it's made me a much more empathetic person and um, yeah I suppose like you just kind of really kind of understanding when people are struggling. Like I I really, I really get it. And I hope that, you know, people around me could feel comfortable to come to me if if that is the case. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest
1: lessons all of this and speaking now has speaking out now at this age has taught you?
0: Yeah. Great question. I think the, the probably the biggest thing that's come out of all of this is that not being okay is, is okay. And I think that's actually a really interesting sentiment that we've heard a lot over the last two years with the pandemic. You know, I think that mental illness has always been, um, you know, in the, in the last couple of years has become something we we talk about more, but I do think in the last two years with the pandemic, a lot of people that may never have really dealt with depression or anxiety have felt it. So I think it's a very much almost quite a global feeling at the moment of going this is a really tough time and I actually Mm -hmm. need to talk about it. So talking about fear, you're talking about your feelings and just going to, you know, talking to a friend or family, you know, anyone and just saying, I'm not good. Yeah. I'm not good. And it's okay to be not good because we're all not good at times. Um, So for me, that's been probably the biggest takeaway, you know, obviously learning, learning what those triggers are for me and, and getting help when I need it.
1: And if someone listening has is or has gone through something similar to you or even just something different, just their own mm. turmoil, what mm. would your advice be to them?
0: Yeah, um, great question. I think, um, like I said, go, go and talk to someone, your best mate, your mum, your dad, your, your dog, whatever <laughs> it is, get it off your chest first. Yeah. But I think also when it comes to sort of more eating of related sort of issues or mm. concerns, I think there are... Um, so many fantastic resources out there. Unlike, you know, going back to the 90s, the early 90s when I was kind of struggling, um, there are some fantastic kind of places you can go to almost on a 24-hour kind of seven-day-a-week yeah. kind of uh, basis. I know yeah. the, the Butterfly ha- Butterfly Foundation have a hotline you can call even as someone like a support family member that might be kind of not knowing what to say or do around someone struggling. So there are so many Um, resources out there um, and and, and free as well Um, so I think yeah if you're struggling and not knowing what to do be it someone suffering or someone in in that support role go and seek help because there's professionals out there that can guide you and show you which way to go so yeah
1: how much of a role does social media play and and I guess how important is it if you maybe are feeling the pressure or feeling like maybe you know your eating habits are changing I guess switching off it sounds it might sound simplistic but switching off accounts that make you feel bad about you You know unfollowing accounts that make you feel mm. bad about yourself mm. and kind of mm-hmm. surrounding yourself with things and people that make you feel good like how much power is there in doing something mm. as simple as that I suppose
0: which I know oh, can be yeah. difficult. totally it can be incredibly difficult but you've totally hit the nail on the head list because that's actually one of um one of butterflies i suppose uh, strategies in sort of feeling better about yourself is is social media curation yeah um it's it is it is such a huge part of our lives now and 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 um more so for the younger the younger generation i think things like you know tiktok and Instagram and Snapchat and all those fantastic apps that we do use in a very positive way a lot of the time, connecting with friends, especially in the in the time time of lockdown and pandemics, you know, it has been an incredibly helpful tool. But on the flip side, it is also incredibly dangerous. And and, yeah. and I also I kind of think you know, in the last two years, where the data is showing that eating disorders are on the rise, and I kind of have to wonder, is there any correlation between the amount of time we're spending online because we're all Our screen time and time on social media has gone through the roof. I know me personally, I looked at my screen time last week and I was like, oh, Maddie, seriously, get off, girl. But it is what you're watching and what you're consuming that you have the power and control over. And I think a lot of the time, we sort of forced get a lot of messaging and and, and toxic kind of ideals that we don't even realise. Yeah. We're just, when we're sort of aimlessly scrolling, you know, a lot of these images are sort of implanted in our head and we don't even realise it. So for me personally, um, I very much curate my feed. Um, I only follow accounts that make, make me feel good, exactly like you said, Liz. So um, I'm obsessed with film and TV, so I, I do follow a lot of, like, movie trailer kind of yeah. kind of resources, lots of funny kind of sketch people that are, you know, making funny, hilarious content during lockdown. Um, I follow a lot of bod- body positivity movements yeah. as well. Um, I think any time I sort of look at someone's feed or account that makes me feel a bit yucky or insecure about myself, I know for me that's a trigger and I go, unfollow. I just yeah. need to not have that around, um, you know. And and one of the, the things that I, you know, I, I do some. I do a lot of work with the Butterfly Foundation, going into schools, teaching this kind of stuff. Um, oh, you're amazing. Sort of strategies. <laughs> oh, no, it's, but it's fantastic because it mm. is, kids are so aware and so on top of this stuff already, but we do a whole segment on Photoshopping and, and yeah. um, the lies that we are fed. And so, you know, even as an adult, though, as a 32 year old, like I kind of forget that at times. And I yeah. kind of look at these pictures and go, oh God, like, yeah. oh, is totally. this what reality is? But it's not like, 99.99% of the stuff we're seeing is fabricated or edited or, or, or um, yeah, curated in a way yeah. for, our, for our eyes and, and, and mainly because people want to buy, you know, they want you to buy their products is yeah. what it is at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, super important is as hard as it is, I think the old uh, Facebook or Instagram or cleanse every now and then um, is really useful. Yeah, Um, And also just time off the phone if we can. I know it's hard at the moment because we are living in a pandemic and there's not much else to do. But even just switching switching off social media for a couple of days and just having a break and just kind of removing yourself from that world um, can be really, really helpful.
1: Totally. And Maddie, what does life look like for you these days? Pandemic aside, how does life look? What are you up (laughs) to?
0: (laughs) Yeah, well that's right, away from earthquakes Liz, and love um, No, look, my life is really I'm I'm really happy. I've got, you know, I'm I'm still very fortunate to we both are working. Um, but you know, I'm I'm pursuing my dreams as well. Like I'm an actor and that's kind of always been my passion and and drive. And so I've been even in lockdown, I'm I've been working on writing and, and kind of uh, you know, pre production for a few kind of films that I'm looking at uh, making. So yeah, it's it's Life's good. Life is great. I I can't complain at all. Um, I'd love to say I can. Um, we're going on a big holiday soon. Yes, you know (laughs) that will happen eventually. We love travel. Um, like I said, my sister lives in Vancouver, so I'd love to get back over there and visit her. Um, you know, my zest for life is, you know, through the roof comparatively, and I think I'm just kind of really, you know, thriving at the moment, and and. You know, you've got a lot of fun stuff to look forward to. So.
1: Absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. so beautiful to hear. And Maddie, I finish yeah. all my interviews in the same way with the same question. Yeah. And that is, what would advice would the Maddie now tell the Maddie in her darkest, most difficult moments? Oh,
0: I love that. Yeah, I think what would I tell young Maddie? I would say um, you are perfect just as you are. And I think that's something that I kind of I need to remind myself constantly you know and I think something we all need to remind ourselves of you know we're all put on this planet to be who we are like it would be so boring if we were all looked and acted exactly the same and that we've been given this amazing opportunity to live our life and you know embrace it we're we're perfect just as we are so yeah yeah, I think that's something that I kind of have to you know even now remind myself of (laughs) yeah that's beautiful advice
1: Maddie it was such a joy and a pleasure speaking oh, to you yeah you, I was engaged oh. with every word you were saying you're just so oh, phenomenal you're so, so
0: thank you lovely oh. I so
1: appreciate
0: the chat it's been oh so gosh it was so
1: beautiful and it was so enlightening and I think a lot of people you know Maybe not all of us have had, but you know, ever been diagnosed with eating disorders or anything. But I think every woman can just identify with oh, that pressure 100%, 100%. And maybe just a day you don't eat as you know, you might reduce meals just because you think you look fat and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that is sadly mm-hmm. just almost sadly part of being female sometimes so absolutely gosh and I I didn't like using that fat word but you know that word we tell ourselves so I think just hearing someone like you string that all together and talk so candidly I think would help No, you know people that I haven't even suffered from it but anyone that is female
0: (laughs) yeah I I so appreciate that Liz thank you so much and yeah it's it's definitely something we need to, you know, keep the dialogue going mm. and, um, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, this will become something that we can just, anyone and everyone can talk about. And yeah. like I said, you know, it's affecting a lot of people, particularly at the moment. And, you know, there is support out there. So, you know, you're not alone. You're not yeah, alone.
1: totally. And I'll put all those links to all support networks in the show notes
0: as well as to your beautiful book. Thank you again, Maddie. Oh, thank you, Liz. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. I so appreciate the time. And yeah, I hope you have a beautiful weekend. You too. Thanks,
1: darling. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Lemonade. If this chat brought up any discomfort, 24-hour help is available through the Butterfly Foundation on one 33 4673 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. I'll pop a link to where you can purchase a copy of Maddie's children's book in the show notes. I'll also pop a link to her Instagram handle as well as mine, at Elizabeth Neal. You can also follow Lemonade at Lemonade the Podcast. If you enjoyed this chat, please share it on your social media and tag us. Otherwise, you can show Lemonade some love by hitting subscribe, leaving a positive review, hitting five stars, all of it really helps. I'll be back tomorrow, actually, with an episode of A Lemon A Day. Chat then.